and here. All right, I did my snap. All right. Great. That was an awesome clap. Thank you. I'm rolling everywhere. Literally everywhere I could be rolling, I'm rolling. Except out the door. Except out the door, girly. Okay. (laughs) Welcome to We Live in a Film Society, everyone. It's a show about movies and the meaning we give them. We got a special one for you today. Oh, yeah. Strap yourselves in for a tumultuous, steamy episode as it is very hot in L.A. And the topic, Cherylin. What are we talking about today? We're talking about sex, baby. (laughs) Okay, well, not really. We're talking about Fifty Shades of Grey. Before we dive into this episode, we just want to give you a quick little trigger warning. We do talk about sex, BDSM, consent, non-consent. So there's your heads up. Oh, my God. Can you believe we made it to Fifty Shades of Grey? Because I didn't see it coming, honestly. (laughs) Neither did I. We're talking about Fifty Shades of Grey, and we have a great guest Dr. Devin Price, who is a social psychologist and studies sex and gender and is currently doing a bunch of fun research up in New York. Oh my gosh, very excited to hear what she has to say about this film. Hannah, this might be the first movie that we have hate-watched. I was like throwing a tantrum through quite a bit of it. Was there anything that you liked about the film that you want to bring up, Sherilyn? (laughs) Well, first off, I just want to say that Dakota Johnson, I love you. I think you have great style and I love your bangs. (laughs) The bangs in this movie were banging. Am I right? Yes, Hannah. That's the only time we can say that joke. I just got to say this. I just got to say that I like her. I like her bangs. However, I mean, we knew what we were getting ourselves into. It was directed by a woman, (laughs) which is sad. When I first moved into this new apartment in Pasadena, my place was totally empty, and I reach up into the top left corner of my closet and shoved deep back in the closet was a Fifty Shades of Grey book. (laughs) Someone just left. Where it belongs. Yep, Fifty Shades, 2015, a different time. A different time. Oh my god, it was 2015. One of my notes that I took while watching the movie was that she was using a razor phone. And at one point, her roommate's like, oh hey, Jose called for you twice. And I'm just like, who has a home phone anymore? This is dated as fuck. It was dated, yeah. Where do we start? If you haven't seen it, get out of that rock you're under. Uh, Just kidding. You don't need to see it. We have spoilers. Get ready for him all the time. Hannah, go since you're fired up. All right. So first of all, I want to say the beginning when the film opens, it felt very Devil Wears Prada to me where like Anastasia Steele is this very sheltered, homely, good girl who's focused on her studies. And in the meantime, we're also seeing how Mr. Christian Grey gets ready in the morning and he's a billionaire and he's stylish. He goes to this fancy office where everyone dresses in high heels and she's a complete fish out of water when she arrives for this interview. I'm also immediately going to compare it to the Twilight series. I feel like Fifty Shades of Grey was for that suburban mom the same way that the Twilight series was, was for, for that. Me. <laughs> it was for me in high school. <laughs> yeah, for, for that suburban adolescent teenage girl. Yeah. The characters 
are paper thin. There was supposed to be all of this sexual tension in the room. And the way that the filmmakers created that sense was with the tempo of the back and forth between them. And there's supposed to be these like sexy cues written into the script or whatever. But I thought that this script was so poorly written. You're supposed to have these vacant characters so that you can project yourselves on to them. She could be anybody and her wants and needs in terms of her life are not defined at all. Everything is centered around this sexual exploration. Same with Mr. Christian Grey. I keep calling him Mr. Christian Grey. I feel like I took something away from this movie. (laughs) Dude, I know. I don't want to get into it yet. We never know why he's a billionaire. We never know what he does with his life. He just seems really fucking rich. It was just like a long, shitty porn because we don't know anything about them. It was long, shitty, softcore porn. And you could tell that because the characters were literally defined by their sexual roles in the movie. And furthermore, the story itself was loose as fuck. Nothing mattered except when was she going to sign the contract or not so that he could do stuff. All right, now I'm reeling you back. Yeah, I know. That was really erratic. I'm it's okay. sorry. <laughs> that, so- I don't know if any of that made sense. It did. No, it's fine. You're passionate. Just like Mr. Christian Grey. (laughs) Is he, though? No, he's not. I'm not a romantic. And then he sends her the first edition of those books that only... Okay. While you were ranting, I was like, man, I really just want to talk shit about this movie. And then I was like, is this just hurting any of my opportunities to work with people in the future in Hollywood? And I was like, fuck no. This is exactly what people need to hear. Yeah. And I can't believe I even had that thought. This podcast is about me and my opinions. (laughs) Yeah, this is about our opinions. So one thing I will say that they got maybe a sliver, a tiny little sliver of correctness was the consent thing. Like, if you are nothing but enthusiastically consent, let me finish. Let me finish. She's saying that because I made a big gesture and rolled my eyes. Throughout the whole film, they're like dangling this contract above each other. And the contract is basically she will be his submissive and he will be the dumb. And once she signs the contract, they gotta follow the rules. And my whole thing was like, you should always be able to say no at any given moment (laughs) right was that in the contract yeah there was the safe words yellow and red it was in the contract they did get that much right but the whole issue that I had with it was it was like a vacation for these maybe vanilla women who don't understand the BDSM culture we're going on a a sexual vacation into BDSM land it was so poorly done Anastasia is our avatar right she's a doe-eyed virgin yeah and so she is kind of like picking and choosing what she wants which is fine that's part of the culture is finding your limits and enjoying the ride but the issue is is that she never got past that judgy phase where she's like you have something wrong with you that you like this and honestly 
the way that they portrayed him, he was a sociopath. There was a moment when she was not enjoying herself, that climactic part where she's like, you want to hurt me so bad? Just show me the worst of it. Because she's like taking it like he wants to hurt her physically and like that's what gives him pleasure. But when it comes to that culture, the act of that and the fact that both people are into what is happening is what works. It's not actually hurting someone. An actual sadist is an actual socio-psychopath. Right. That's not what healthy BDSM sexual expression is. That was my issue, that he actually did in that moment enjoy physically hurting her when she was obviously so hurt. But he didn't enjoy it he was about to climax well he did up until he saw that she was crying and didn't like it no he liked it until she got up and said don't ever touch me again here's here's what i have to say about that all of that was fucked up he's a sociopath for sure (sighs) okay let's steer away from their unhealthy sexual relationship for a second or just their unhealthy relationship period and let's talk a little bit about things that happen in the movie (laughs) okay which is literally just their fucked up relationship Their fucked up relationship but i want to bring up some other things that i thought were funny when she first finished the interview she goes back to her apartment and meets her roommate and her roommate's like i just got his email he answered every question i was like wait in what world does the person that is being interviewed email you the responses yeah (laughs) what that was just a weird way to get about the roommate knowing something you know Mm -hmm. I guess I just noted that it was funny that she's like I'm gonna make a sandwich do you want one to her roommate I just thought that was a funny moment because I was like who does that because she's the submissive she's the server that's what they're setting up it I just hated how this was written it was just lazy so lazy it was a big budget porn Yeah, it was lowest common denominator. It felt immature. Yeah, it was super immature. It felt like a high school boy wrote it. Like when Anna says, why does it have to be like this? And when she's like saying, I love you and why can't you just be with me? I was just like, girl, he told you up front he wasn't giving you what you wanted. And then she caught feelings. She caught feelings. But what was she attracted to? Just is so clumsy. There was no narrative at all. The whole storyline, every scene to scene to scene did not connect. Nothing connected. The only thing that connected was him coming to talk to her like, have you signed the contract yet? And her being like, I haven't yet. And like them both not understanding what they're talking about. Yeah, they didn't know. But it was like, oh, I'm in college. Oh, I'm graduating college. Oh, I'm in a plane. Oh, I work at a hardware store. (laughs) Oh, we're flying to Seattle. It was all these different strung together scenes and it did not flow. No, it didn't. It didn't. Another thing, speaking of her working at the hardware store, Christian Gray showed up and she was all flustered and checking him out at the hardware store. Mm -hmm. He just went in there to buy BDSM paraphernalia, but... He probably already had that. He was just there to be like, look, can you figure it out? Because he doesn't live where she lives. 
He yeah. lives in Seattle. I mean, it was just a plant to later pay off all the different things that he bought from her he was going to use for bondage. It was weird that her coworker at the hardware store grabbed her shoulders like that. He's like, oh, do you need help checking this guy out? Yeah, I agree. What do you think that was? That they had a flirtatious relationship? I think it was what Christian was saying later. He's like, guys must be throwing themselves at you. And I think that was this guy trying to control her but her not wanting to be controlled by him she wanted to be controlled by christian to a certain extent not by this other guy not by jose because jose was kind of submissive not dominant yeah and then the scene after they graduated and they like went to the bar with their friends and her like photographer friend was like yeah jose yeah they were drunk he started grabbing her outside and he's like oh it's cold here stay warm and he was holding her and she was very obviously uncomfortable i think she was fine with it up until he said i like you and then all of a sudden she's like oh wait what and he's like yeah i've never found the right time to tell you and she goes oh god i can see how that can be shocking for her that she had no idea that he was into her that kind of situation has only happened with men in my experience if it were a woman that were in the position of jose That shit would not have happened. I think it's entitlement. I think it's also hard for straight dudes to have intimate relationships with other straight dudes. So when they have these intimate friendships with a woman, they get it confused with what a relationship should be and what a friendship should be, which is unfortunate that they can't have that relationship with their bros. But I still think that that doesn't excuse the immediate understanding of what no means in that context if someone says they're not interested they're not confused about it well that i do definitely agree with but everything before that (laughs) i don't know i think um it exists everywhere and consent is always important regardless of who it is i don't know if i would give women a full pass yeah for sure i'm not giving women a pass i just have had more experience like that with straight dudes for sure because i think in our society that's where power is patriarchy they do have the power they are being told by everyone around them that they are the ones that are supposed to make the first move and our media tells us that even if she says no at first she might actually want it so i'm not trying to excuse that behavior at all but I am trying to be sympathetic to the point where it's like okay can we all recognize when we do this and learn from it definitely I hear you I think that obviously there's this big gray area and there's a spectrum from like maybe this person like kissed you and you didn't want them to to what we can imagine to be a really uncomfortable and unsafe sexual experience yeah everything in between no matter what it is I still think that It is our job to hold people accountable anywhere in that gray area. Because we know that this happens at house parties, this happens with friends, this happens with friends of friends, and it's in our circle. So I just want to say that I think it's our job to like call out your friends and educate people, and it's also your personal job to do that work and to educate yourself and to make sure that you're not on that side of things and... You fully understand what consent looks like. 
Definitely. And I think that everything you're saying, yes, for our generation, but moving forward, the way that we actually address this is by providing better sexual education. Yes. From the beginning, we raise humans in a way that makes it so that this behavior doesn't happen. Yeah. I was thinking about that idea of Gray because that's obviously a motif in this film. His name is Gray. He loves all these Gray things. And what he's introducing her into, and I guess what they're trying to say that she's introducing to him is like this Gray area where it doesn't have to be just all bondage and sex without feelings. This Gray area where we don't know and we're figuring it out. And that irked me because... In the healthy, sex-positive BDSM community, it is black and white. It is either consensual or it's not, and everyone is taken care of. It's not a gray area. It's not in between. Yeah. And this idea that Anastasia just doesn't get it. The entire time she's like, I don't understand why you can't be my boyfriend why I can't hold your hand and why we can't go on dates together he's like dude I'm telling you I'm damaged (laughs) (laughs) or that's not what I'm sexually interested in that's not the relationship I want but then you're everything I want and I'm like it's never clear why she's everything that he wants and it's never clear why she is so interested in him and then I thought maybe that's casting Maybe if he were older and maybe more like a refined daddy, that could make more sense for her character. And maybe it would make him seem a little bit more mysterious. I remember early in watching this, you were like, oh, he's a bad actor. Honestly, I don't know if he's a bad actor, but I think he wasn't right for this role. And I know a lot of people feel that way. There was a whole meme going around when he was announced to be Christian. They're like, hashtag not my Christian Grey or whatever it was. I mean, I agree. He wasn't my Christian Grey either. I did not fucking get it. Yeah, I don't know if it was bad acting. It was just a bad script. He did the best he could with those lines. I'm sure he tried his best. I don't think he was right for this role. Yeah. Although I will say he did have a very nice body and that was fun to look at for some of it. It really annoyed me that we never saw him naked. I was thinking that too. We see her completely naked way more than we see him completely naked. He's wearing his fucking denim long jeans while he's giving her spankings. They were blue, too. Yeah, they were farmer blue. (laughs) Yeah. That threw me off. That works for some people. That was not my thing. Sorry if that's too much information. Hannah doesn't want to fuck a cowboy. That's why I left Texas, I guess. There was something that I wanted to clear up with you. I missed the child abuser part. What happened there? I spaced out for many times, but one of the times (laughs) that I spaced out was when they meet up again. And so what was that? The woman that he kept seeing, yeah. And that was another thing that was a red flag for me in terms of him being our gatekeeper into BDSM culture. Essentially, when he was 16, 15. I remember that part. Oh, 15? I think when he was 15, yeah, his mom's friend became his dom. Right. So that's the sexual abuse. He was a minor. And then he met up with her later on in the movie? Yeah, he continued that relationship, I think he said, for five or six years. Yeah. And then he's continued keeping a friendship with her since then. And it does not sound like he ever officially 
addressed that abuse or the fact that it was rape or the fact that it could not legally be consensual. And it also sounds like he had a troubled past where it's like his mom wasn't really his mom because his mom was a crack addict what was that storyline when he's sitting on the bed and telling to her while she's unconscious which again is like okay that doesn't count yeah so he's spoke at their graduation for being a sexy billionaire (laughs) and he was like yeah i work with poor people because i know what it's like to have been hungry and then anastasia's eyes widen like you do know what it's like to be hungry well I think it's either arousal or a little nervousness because it's a code to her yeah and then later he reveals that his mama was a crack addict and died when he was four or something right did they say she died or she just I think yeah he was saying that and then he sometimes dreams and he thinks he sees her or something but he never really had a relationship with her Yeah, which that's sad if that really happened. Yeah, it's a sad backstory. They were like, okay, how can we make this character interesting? Uh, give him a crack addict for a mom, and your mom died when you're four, and then also the rape, and you're a billionaire, and it's like too many things that still didn't add up to a character. It didn't add up to a character. I did not get why she liked him I didn't get it he wasn't written well he wasn't cast the right way so immediately none of it makes sense to me and that was a big failing on the part of the filmmakers and probably the base text from what I heard it was just supposed to be a raunchy like I said sexual vacation for people who don't know that world of sex there are two more of these movies (laughs) there were two more I do want to bring up that before I watched this movie, a friend put something in front of me about the moment where Christian takes Anna's virginity and why a lot of people were really upset about that. And I didn't have the context that I had watching it this time. And when that moment happened, it was bothersome. She said she hadn't had sex because she was waiting for the right guy. And he said, and I quote, he was rectifying the situation. Yeah, he took it upon himself to fix something that was not broken. To take something that was obviously something she was handling in her own time in her own way so this element of virgin shaming simultaneously with the fact that he has the power to decide when she's ready and he was not committing to her the way that she was expressing she needed him to commit to her for her to feel totally safe but then at the same time watching the film she does give enthusiastic consent when the time comes (laughs) comes nice thanks but that's again a failing of the filmmakers because they don't make it her choice so she's this passive character in that moment and furthermore we have to believe and understand why she loves and is ready to go there with this other character and I don't think that they set that up properly just basic storytelling that's why it felt like just bad soft core porn. Yeah. Once again, samesies. <laughs> Something else that I wanted to say. <laughs> this is dumb. But like their first date or whatever, they went in a helicopter and then later on they went in an airplane. And I was like, what is the deal with these fucking flight dates? 
Yeah. What if that's not her thing? Dude. That's not my thing. No offense to my one ex who is currently a pilot, <laughs> but it's like, why would you just assume that someone's idea of a fun time is fucking flipping around through the air in a dangerous metal flying machine? I think they tried to show, oh no, she's enjoying this. And it's like, it's okay that she does, but there wasn't ever a moment of, are you ready and interested in this? And there was never that moment of, oh, hell yeah, I want to do this. It was just, this is what we're doing. She follows him. And then thankfully she likes it. What if he was like, here, I got you a surprise. And then he opens the garage or something and it's (laughs) (laughs) go-karts. Like that was his idea of a thrill. So wholesome all of a sudden. Yeah, I did think on a lighter note that the mom reminded me of equal parts Meryl Streep and Helena Bonham Carter. Her mom was gorgeous. Those two vibes. I was getting real hard. Real hard. (laughs) (laughs) Oh boy. Okay, let's wrap this up. We gave this a lot of thought and we hope you got something out of this conversation. We're just talking through our feelings, you know? Yeah. Bro to bro. Bro to bro. I was really mad that they used Beast of Burden in this movie. I love that song. And it's a beautiful song. And they used it. Get me looking so crazy right now. I thought that that was a pretty sexy remix, honestly. <laughs> I like that I thought that it was one. just funny because the shots were double exposure, slow-mo of like the spanking and like her face with her mouth open. I just, it was kind of funny. It didn't feel romantic. It didn't feel good. It just felt corny, all of it. Uh, But hey, 2015. Wait, what, Hannah? What, you liked it? There were a few moments that I was like, okay, for softcore porn, like, this moment is okay. Sure, sure. It was better than porn, (laughs) the production value. Don't share this to your parents. (laughs) Yeah. If Hannah's parents are listening, we're joking. Yeah, we're totally joking. Ah, what do I get out of this? You get me. I hated that moment. I hated okay, it. I'm sorry. Okay. It's too much. I feel bad because this this episode was like the least organized that my thoughts ever were. It's fine. The next bit is going to be so good. All right, everybody. We are done with our personal thoughts on Fifty Shades of Grey. And when we get back, oh, we are going to be talking to a expert on this stuff. Social psychologist, Dr. Devin Price. Stay tuned. Yay. Take us out of the weeds. Give us the light. (laughs) Show us the way. Because I am lost. I'm lost after this movie. Okay. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the show. We're very excited to be here with Dr. Devin Price. She is a social psychologist currently in New York City. And here we are. We're going to talk about sex and stuff. Hell yeah. Hi, Devin. Hello. So excited to join y'all to talk about sex and stuff. Yes. (laughs) Hannah and I watched Sex Education. No, fuck. (laughs) Hannah and I watched... Fifty Shades of Grey yesterday for the very first time. Oh, no. Oh, no yeah. is right. <laughs> yeah. Oh my the first half of this podcast was just us screaming at each other. Mm. <laughs> that sounds about right. Yeah. Also, I wanted to ask you first, before we dive into that, tell me a bit about the kind of work that you are doing right now or have been working on in the past. Yeah, I think actually most social psychologists, you would not immediately 
be like, oh, definitely need to talk to them about something like sex. Um, because <laughs> uh, a lot of social psychology is very, very like heavy on the theory and heavy on the lab experiments. And so what I do is I apply social psychology. So I take all those theories and things and actually bring them into the real world. For me specifically, I do a lot of research with sexual health. And so a lot of my research revolves around HIV prevention and treatment and using psychology essentially to help people better take care of themselves. So if we're talking about sexual health, I'm also very passionate about STI testing too, which is a funny thing to say you're so passionate about. But <laughs> I basically see all these testing mechanisms as way for folks to live their best, healthy, most pleasurable sexual lives. But this is where the social psychology comes in. We have stigmatized sex so much that actually trying to take care of yourself in regards to sex is stigmatized. So a lot of what I do is try to figure out how to do different interventions to empower people to actually feel in control of their sex lives and want to be the most healthy they can be in terms of their sexual health and not feel ashamed of that. I'm at Hunter College right now, but I work with the New York City Department of Health in shaping sexual health policies with them too and how they can basically better engage populations that would be most at risk for high rates of HIV and STIs and stuff like how can they actually tailor their services to meet the needs of that clientele all of that is using social psychology and stuff to try to make these services better tailored to folks like more intuitive yeah more intuitive i guess a concrete example would be the original service in new york city was if someone tests positive for hiv everyone gets asked who their partners were recently and so that's called actually everyone knows what contact tracing is because of covid but before <laughs> covid hiv contact tracing was super popular and so what i did was work with the folks who would go to those partners they would call them and let them know that they were potentially exposed to hiv and offer them a free hiv test and so what i was working on was in addition to that free hiv test they would also be able to depending on what the results of that test were, either get immediate treatment for being HIV positive, or they would be able to get immediately started on PrEP, which is a once daily pill you can take to prevent HIV, much like how you can take a daily pill to prevent pregnancy, this PrEP prevents HIV. That psychologically, we added those because if you test positive in your home, you're sort of sitting there like, fuck, this is a huge mm. thing. And it's a huge psychological difference to have someone immediately be like, hey, so let me explain to you how effective the current treatments for HIV are and how you can actually lead a perfectly normal, healthy life. And we're going to now put you in direct contact with someone who can continue your care. We're doing that because if you just have someone test positive and don't provide all that 
there's so much drop off in actually getting people connected to care because the psychological trauma essentially just happened to them. Mm. And so what we're doing is trying to be like, okay, Department of Health, you have the resources to provide these medications in the field and then actually connect folks to care. What if we just provide it all at once? Maybe we would see better rates of people getting care and things like that. So what we saw from our pilot was that was true, but then COVID happened and we had to completely scrap everything and go online. So that's why I said before, like I did manage this. I still am, but it's just a totally different program now. They do get same day comprehensive sexual health telemedicine call with a nurse practitioner and they can now get a comprehensive sexual wellness check. And depending on what they say, they'll actually automatically send them medication for any sort of potential active STI based off symptoms they describe and an HIV test. So it's not the exact same thing, but now we're trying to provide this immediate treatment. And I think is the biggest thing because immediate treatment really can make such a difference psychologically when you're dealing with such a scary diagnosis at first. So Dr. Devin Price, I would love to know, just based on the movie that we watched, Fifty Shades of Grey, I was wondering if you thought the movie got anything right about safe, pleasurable, experimental sex. I mean, I would say no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of the conclusion we came to as well. Although I will say, I do remember at one point before he inserts his penis we do see him put on a condom. Yeah, I guess that would probably be like the one and only (laughs) thing, but I'm just gonna put it out there. I know this is again like trigger warning, we're talking about rape here. Plenty of rapists wear condoms because they know Mm. that it prevents their DNA from being identifiable. So Mm. part of me is also like- That does not make him responsible for her well-being. Right. Necessarily. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. So in the context of Fifty Shades of Grey, I'm like, I don't know if him putting on a condom is necessarily him actually caring about her sexual well-being so much as like potentially covering his ass. I don't know. But- Everything about it is just so unhealthy and I and I hate it because I do research and work with the actual kink and BDSM circuit party folks in New York City, like sex parties and stuff. And especially like the BDSM parties, their levels of consent is so ingrained in the culture of that. Ground rules point blank is like you can have the kinkiest subdom type of relationship you want, but if you're not actually setting healthy ground rules and healthy boundaries and safe words and stuff, you're really potentially traumatizing someone. And that is not the point. A lot of people actually find a lot of sexual healing when BDSM is done correctly. A lot of people actually turn to BDSM as ways to heal from sexual trauma. One of the reasons it's healing is because of this practice of actually communicating your wants and needs and actually having them be respected. So Fifty Shades of Grey does the opposite of that. (laughs) I would not characterize it as BDSM. I would just characterize it as abuse. Mm. That's really it. That's it. You heard it here, folks. (laughs) Not BDSM. I know that the BDSM community must be livid at this because it kind of is the first or one of the first movies that tried to portray BDSM in like the mainstream and they definitely didn't do it right. Yeah. I mean, I think they were probably just trying to like make the most scandalous over the top version. 
so that people would want to watch it. Y'all have to have talked about that new Netflix movie that came out that was what's it called locked up or something it's about this woman who's basically a sex slave for months no we haven't oh my god it's not even on my radar until just now oh my god um i don't want to waste too much time trying to google it now but i know a bunch of people were asking for it to be taken down because it really is this film that centers around this woman who's basically captured and develops Stockholm syndrome <laughs> with her person. God, I wish I could find it because some people. Oh, it's called 365 <laughs> Days. Oh, have y'all heard of that? No, still haven't heard of it. I <laughs> might have seen it scrolling through Netflix. Literally, this is the description, and I read this description on Netflix, and I was like, Netflix, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> it says. A woman falls victim to a dominant mafia boss who imprisons her and gives her one year to fall in love with him. Um, what? Yeah, yeah. <sighs> I guess they thought it was hot or something. <sighs> it's definitely just <laughs> sexual assault. Wow. Kinks are great. Having the, the kink and fantasy of being kidnapped and like, Whatever, that's fine to have that kink. It's when something like Netflix takes that kink and then makes it into this story that normalizes abuse as opposed to like showing all the lead up to how you can like engage in that kink in a healthy way. <laughs> so, uh. Do you think that that's at all part of it for anyone in the community? The fantasy that it's not all programmed like should the media be teaching proper bdsm practices all the time or is not seeing that fulfilling any part of that sexual place healthfully in your opinion i think that's a super good question because i have a really good friend she draws queer bdsm kink comics and there's forced sex in it and mm. that is a kink even our most basic like someone who just wants to have handcuffs or something that is the essence of that kink mm -hmm. and so what she does on everything she posts it's not that within her comic you're necessarily seeing the characters set their safe word yeah. it's more like within the description of the comic she very much is like trigger warning there's some dubious consent in this or non-consent or whatever and trigger warning this is kink specific and not her necessarily encouraging abuse and so i totally agree if you're making a movie with that same sort of thing for the people who have that kink it's not necessarily part of their kink to see all the work building up to that yeah yeah duh like it's such a good question because yeah part of the kink is being able to like fall into that and like really be like this is what's happening right now so I absolutely understand that question I think it's more the job of the folks who are producing it to adequately contextualize it as that actually mm -hmm. be like hey this is what we're making and why Here's all these resources on how if you're into this kink, how to practice it safely. So someone who just watches that movie without understanding that doesn't now think that that's super normal and healthy. <laughs> 
I think that's different than putting out something without any context and being like, here's this love story about this woman getting kidnapped and right. falls in love with the guy who's assaulting her without any context, trigger warning, or anything like that. I think that's the difference. Fifty Shades of Grey is the same thing. I do think you can have a movie like that and be able to say, hey, so all of this is really fucked up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, understand that people ate that up for a reason. It is a kink. Yeah, but I think yeah. it's different when you're trying to be responsible in making a movie about that kink and trying to lay it out that like, listen, don't think that What's his name? Dorian Gray? <laughs> Christian. Oh my god. Yeah, his name is Jamie Dornan, Dor- but he plays <laughs> Christian Gray. So I also thought Dorian Gray as well. Oh, that's so funny. Dorian Gray's the old picture guy. The guy who like right. has he the paints himself him. old so that he stays young or something. Yes. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I just started Penny Dreadful and he's a character. Oh, so yes, I think that's right. why that like popped up. <laughs> That's oh, funny. for but sure. Yes, Christian Grey. Let's make it very clear that Christian Grey is not goals. This is an abuser. Right. But it's right. also fine to have a kink like this. Or maybe you watch it because you're turned on by this really problematic dynamic. And that's fine. Yeah. That's fine. As long as you're not then trying to enact that in the exact same way. And you're taking that as your sexual script when you start seeing that's your only baseline of how to go about a BDSM relationship it needs to be clarified that that's not what that is (laughs) yeah I totally agree what I was talking about with Sherilyn is the kink for this movie is the kink of exploring kink for the first time without knowing you know what I mean and it's like So the whole movie is the kink. It's not actually introducing you to BDSM culture healthfully. Exactly. On that note, Devin, what do you think are some examples of movies or TV shows that have gotten sex right? Because it's fairly new, I think, in the media to actually portray sex in a healthy way. Oh, I could not agree more. Well, (laughs) I'm sex ed for sure. (laughs) On Netflix, yeah. On Netflix. We love that one. Love that. I I was actually blown away by the ways in which sex ed was able to incorporate consent and checking in with your partner even with these bumbling teenagers and be able to make it not super weird, awkward thing, but something that was pretty natural. The awkwardness of sex ed and these teenagers trying to figure out sex was not the consent. It was these teenagers trying to figure out sex for the first time. And so I really like how they do portray consent and checking in with your partner that they're okay as a normal thing to do and not something super weird. Like, ew, why are you asking me if you can kiss me? Because I feel like we've seen examples of that in the media where it's like, You do see a character go to ask consent and then it's almost belittled. I wish I could come up with a more specific example. Actually, I do have an example of that. I've been rewatching Will and Grace and while some of it is still fun and silly, some of it definitely has aged and we would do it differently today. Mm -hmm. But one of those moments, the Grace character meets the Woody Harrelson character and at one point after one of their dates when they're still kind of getting used to each other he's like so are we gonna kiss now 
him asking, is this what you want kind of thing? And she turns around and she says, you don't ask someone to kiss you. You just kiss them. No. Yeah. Yeah. That ultimately played as her consent and he kissed her. But the fact that she was blowing it off as that's not actually the normal protocol was absolutely in that show. Yes. No, exactly. I'm so glad you brought that up because for real, like I have seen that in other shows too or heard myself of friends being like, ew, why did they ask to kiss me before? Beforehand. I just want them to do it, you know, and like that's fine. Oh, sure. Some people yeah. are super into that, but it's also like, what if you didn't want them to kiss you and then they just did it? That wouldn't yeah. be fun either. But I think people say it because they heard it in a show like Will and Grace, you mm-hmm. know, like because we don't have any basic sexual education in this country for the most part, especially if you're in the South, we're yeah. learning how to do sex from porn and media. And those are not great examples all the time of what a realistic healthy sex life looks like mm-hmm. yep okay so I, I opened up my Netflix I watched so much TV so I know that there was something <laughs> besides sex ed but I saw Shit's Creek which is one of my favorite shows of all time right now and I think Shit's Creek did such an amazing jo- have y'all watched it nope but I've heard great things I've only Uh, heard great things. Yeah, I watched the pilot and I didn't get farther than that yet. That's fair. It took me two or three episodes to actually really get into the show. My friend told me about it and I was like, I hate all these characters because the whole concept (laughs) is they're all rich and lose all their money and have to go move to this little tiny place called Shit's Creek. And so I wasn't super interested, but by the third episode, I was like, I love everyone. So the main character who is actually Gene Levy's son, Dan Levy, he wrote and directed the show and he's also the main character and Dan Levy's character named David is a pansexual character and the way in which the show he basically sleeps with one of his best women friends and she and him trying to talk about it the next day and she's a little confused because she's like trying to imply he was gay and using wine analogies he's like you know sometimes I like red sometimes I like white and sometimes maybe a little rosé and he's trying to explain (laughs) and these analogies that he's pansexual which means that he's just attracted to pretty much anyone and that just happens sometimes and then they end up having a really healthy boundary setting conversation. They end up dating the same person at some point who wants them to be in a thruple. And the ways in which every single one of those situations is handled is so well done. And it's very easy to understand that you can be a complicated person and have sex with your friend one night and still retain that friendship and still be a normal ass person because it's just a facet of being a human you just need to talk about it and we can all be normal and so I think Schitt's Creek was doing such such a good job of that so Devin and I grew up in Florida that's how we know each other yeah I didn't get any sex education I think my sex education was me being put in a different room than the boys and they gave us a pad and they were like you're gonna bleed one day and (laughs) here's deodorant also because you stank oh god so I guess I just want to know what is one way to break down the stigma for just talking about sex how are you doing it from your perspective as a doctor working in this field 
<laughs> just to say my sex education was in high school it was during summer school for PE this lady came in and she had this little chest in her hand and she said all of you can be reborn virgins this is your chastity chest or some shit and like even if you've had sex already you can put your chastity right back in here and this is fucking public school that yeah. was accompanied with pictures of super infected genitals from STIs. And it was basically like, this is what will happen if you have sex. Oh, my God. That was part of my sexual education for sure was just scare tactics, was just showing us the most horrid looking genitals you could ever imagine. Yep. <laughs> Exactly. Yes. Like this is what your pussy's going to look like if you ever have sex, bitch. So don't do it. It's like what? Outside of marriage. Somehow marriage, of marriage will protect you from everything bad. But if you do it outside of marriage, you better believe you are going to have the ugliest looking pussy anyone has ever seen. And it's going to hurt and you're going to hate it. And your family and friends are going to hate you. Exactly. Also, you'll go to hell. <laughs> right. And you're going to get pregnant. And you're going to get pregnant. Yes. Every everything all of them at once <laughs> yes no exactly like literally dead ass that was my sexual education and I I hadn't had sex at that point either I was just like what the fuck I don't understand this is terrible like how how is this the result of sex if so many people have sex I feel like I would know if if like <laughs> my friends were this is what was happening to them they would have told me I just, this isn't adding up I had to tell that story because that I just very much really Related to Sherry Lynn's story about totally. what a mess that was. But I think a lot of our stigma around sex and especially STIs and stuff really does come from this idea that having sex is dirty unless you are doing it with one person in a monogamous relationship and ideally you are married before god <laughs> and, and so, country <laughs> before god and country honestly because anything outside of that it's gonna be bad so i i really do think talking openly and honestly about your experiences really helps to destigmatize because i will just say so many of us have had some sort of funky weird interaction with sex so many of us have had some sort of shitty circumstance happen and most of us feel like we're alone in that but then you start talking about it and you find out that so many other people have also experienced the same thing you did i remember my friend the first time she had an sti and she got it from a partner who said that he wasn't sleeping with anyone else and so again this is where we're getting back to this idea that being sexually safe within a monogamous relationship is just false because people go outside of that monogamous relationship without telling their partner all the time. A large percentage of STIs are transmitted within these monogamous relationships, quote unquote monogamous, because they're not actually monogamous. Someone's doing something on the side and not telling the other person. I try my best to just talk about it on Twitter and my own social media about how normalized it is just to get STI tested and that it feels really good and empowering. 
I think it's like trying to twist it on its head. Instead of being super ashamed of the fact that there's a possibility you may have an STI because you were sexually active, instead trying to think about it and talk about it. I'm a boss ass bitch taking care of my body. I like Mm -hmm. to have sex and I also like to be healthy. I like mm -hmm. to go get fucking tested so that I know that I'm healthy and there's nothing wrong with that. And if I do get an STI, I'm going to get treatment soon because I'm getting my regular testing. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be this huge deal the way that we make it out to be. It doesn't have to be this super fucking traumatizing experience. It can really just be like, God damn it, I got gonorrhea. I guess I got to go take a fucking Z-pack for a few days. Most of these are treatable, but then we really do get stuck in this idea that you did something wrong because you got an STI. It implies maybe you weren't wearing a condom, so therefore it's your fault. And that's also fucked up. People are more than okay with making decisions about their own levels of risk that they're comfortable with. And if they don't want to wear a condom, that's okay. They don't need to be shamed about the consequences that come from that. They just need to be taken care of. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Beautiful. Just talking about it, I really think is just a really healthy way, especially among people that you trust. I hope this doesn't sound creepy, but I actually do find that... It's a pleasurable experience for me to challenge myself to talk more openly and positively about certain things that have been shoved in in the dark for so long because I think of how I was raised to talk about sex and raised to think about sex that it's almost like... Oh my God, it feels like a weight off your shoulders. Yeah, no kidding. It's so freeing to be like, oh, I can just say this about this you know I can express what I need yes oh my god I'm actually able to express my needs what I can actually tell somebody what feels good on my body what (laughs) right I'm allowed to put words to it I'm allowed to say it out loud I'm allowed to discuss it with someone it's a whole experience right for a little more context Hannah grew up in Texas and is Jewish. Yeah. And I grew up, you know this, Devin, in Florida, Orlando. My family was kind of conservative, but pretty liberal. Conservative in the way that Latinos can be conservative. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like coming to LA was, oh my God, for anybody that just doesn't <laughs> fit in a box and is the tiniest bit of radical, like going to the city is such a freeing experience. I'm sure you can agree, Devin, as someone who moved from Florida to New, New England. <laughs> and then New York yeah I remember it really hit me one day because my colleague and I went to get a pedicure on our lunch break and it was freezing cold outside and we needed to get back to work but our toes weren't dry and so we were just walking back to Hunter College with those little flip flops they put on your feet and our toes still spaced apart and I was like you know this would be embarrassing in any other place but this is probably one of the least weird things people are seeing on the street of New York today so <laughs> Okay. Yes, I totally agree. It was very much like, whoa, I can actually wear pasties in public here and people are going to compliment me in not a creepy way. (laughs) My friend and I went to the Mermaid Parade, which is the start of summer parade that happens out by Coney Island in New York City. And she wore pasties and I wore pasties, but had a mesh crop top on top because I was still like, not used to that and so she just had pasties on and all of these people were like 
you look amazing. That's so great. And I was like, what? What are all these people saying so many positive things to her and not slut shaming her? I'm so confused. Where am I? So yes, I very much relate to that you leave Florida or Texas, anywhere in the South, and you go to somewhere like LA or New York, and you're like, where am I? <laughs> I know. Now I just need to go back at some point and radicalize all my friends and family. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm working on that. It's hard. <laughs> so you've talked about certain shows that you think are getting it right, like Sex Ed, for example. What do you think is the most important thing for media to focus on to help introduce healthier conversations on sex positive topics? I definitely think focusing more on women's pleasure is so important and not something we've seen very often Mm. in media. Oftentimes when you get a sex scene, the sexual script, and when I say sexual script, it's literally how in your head you're taught sex plays out. There's also first date scripts too. When I say first date script, what do you think a first date script looks like? Like dinner in a movie. Yeah, literally. It's like, oh, first date, the person probably picks you up they take you out to do something like this. So a sex script is like, he takes off her shirt and yeah. then he pushes her on the bed and then yes. she does this. Yeah, yeah, okay. Exactly. It's sort of your basic understanding of how these things are supposed to go based off everything you've been told and how media portrays it. And so for these sexual scripts, now I'm obviously talking about this in a, a man and woman situation, but oftentimes the man is supposed to be the one basically making all these calls about the woman's body <laughs> in the sex sexual script. So it's like, does he want to wear the condom or not? Does he Mm. want to go down on her or pleasure her or not? Are they just going to go straight to penetration because that's what he wants? Foreplay is so often left out of media. It's concerning. It's super concerning because it implies that it's normal to just go from kissing lightly to like pee and veggie. That's not... (laughs) That's not how most people want to have sex, especially if you're someone who has a vagina. Like, that's not super pleasurable for you. You need, literally anatomically, some level of stimulation before that happens in order for it to be maximally pleasurable to you. And we don't talk about that or show it. (laughs) So I think that it would be so helpful to have more depictions of women being pleasured in media. I think that I was going to say the L word, the new reboot of the L word is the definition of that. (laughs) Uh, It's just all queer women. So there's a lot of oral sex and I live. (laughs) You never see that. You never see depictions of people going down on women ever and it's just so nice to see a show that depicts so much pleasure of women and I think it's also extremely ironic that of course it's women giving pleasure to other women because they actually understand (laughs) that that's what their bodies need we need it We really do. It's so important. It's so important for your sexual satisfaction. And so I just think normalizing female pleasure in general would be so helpful in media because we really don't have enough examples of 
women being the center of pleasure. We also don't have many examples in media of the dynamic where a woman is the one who consistently wants to have sex and the man is the one who has the lower libido. What happens Mm. then? I know so many people are in those types of relationships where they're a woman and they're dating a man and they just do have a way higher sex drive than their male partner and there's a lot of stigma around that. It's always just assumed men are always going to want to have sex more. And then we also use that as a reason why it's fine when they cheat because it's just sex. But then when you're in the other situation and you realize, oh, wait, men aren't anatomically designed to want sex all the time. That's a myth. If there's a spectrum of each gender and how much they want sex, it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman you're going to want sex in different degrees. It's all about your own personal libido. And so we often have these situations in which women are in these really unhappy sexless relationships because they're not really able to advocate for themselves in those relationships or like ask for pleasure themselves because we just don't normalize that. We make women sound like sluts if they want to have pleasure. Boom. When you were talking about seeing more oral pleasure being given to women, it made me think like, yeah, well, why don't we see that? And it's also this stigma that vaginas are gross and dirty, even though they're like a self-cleaning oven. (laughs) The way that we would combat that is just by talking about it more and normalizing vaginas, which is crazy to say, because aren't we slightly more percentage of the population by oh, like yeah. a percentage or, or so. This is also why I absolutely lived for the song Wet Ass Pussy because I was like, yes, talk about how amazing <laughs> this Yes, this- we just watched it right before talking to you. Hannah and I watched the music video for the first did time. Really? We did. Yeah, we're like, there's some holes we did. in this house. It's like yeah. in my head nonstop. Yeah. Oh my God, the gushy. I loved it. Yes. My favorite line was the macaroni in the pot. Oh. Oh, yeah. Oh, without question. Because all of us know that when we've made macaroni and cheese, we've all made that fucking joke. Like, (laughs) so So good. Yes, I feel like that is such a good example. I thought it was funny because you saw so many people being like, oh my God, our children. And then at the other time, you see people being like, do y'all know? It's actually really a good example for teenagers or whatever age you think girls are going to start having sex, it's really important for them to actually hear women talking about their own bodies and their own sexual wants and needs so empowered and so clear about what they want. Cardi B is telling you exactly what she wants. She wants you to Mm -hmm. choke her, spit in her mouth, and look at her in the eyes. You know, like, this is a very specific thing she is telling you that she is into. And that's powerful. That's really fucking powerful to have someone say that. And then you see the huge backlash against it. And it's so telling because it's like, oh, God forbid women want and talk about sex and their desires within sex in a consensual way god forbid they're actually wanting to have sex and it's not something just happening to them i'm thinking back i wonder how my experience with my sexual evolution would have changed if in middle school i was dancing to wet ass pussy Mm -hmm. at the dance versus ying ying twins talking about you know yes (laughs) sweat dropping down their balls i was like i have to listen about male genitalia i've never heard anyone talking about female genitalia that was a woman talking about her own 
positive experience what she wanted done not what that guy was gonna do to her I'm just thinking like how would my relationship with my body be different if it was more balanced I could not agree more I really I totally agree we just didn't grow up with that you have fucking Rick Ross literally talking about drugging and raping a woman in his song Mm -hmm. and hardly has a eyelash bat about that and now you have white ass pussy come out and the same men like Rick Ross who's talking about literally assaulting a woman are pissed because women are talking about being in control of their own bodies and sex (laughs) let it out Sherilyn sometimes I just have to scream you do it's healthy to scream that's why I'm like the best thing we can do to destigmatize this stuff is to be Cardi B and Meg and just fucking talk about it and out loud and proud I know Sherilyn probably saw this because she follows me on Instagram but as you introduced me I'm a doctor I'm an academic but academics get paid shit. And so I opened an OnlyFans. And that was literally one of the most empowering and badass experiences I have ever had because- Wait, sorry, what is that? Oh, it's, it's like a subscription service. So you know, like Patreon, it's like that. But it's basically... No, pretend like I don't know what that is either. (laughs) Okay. Um, It's like a online subscription service where you have someone's specific URL. It's the only way you can find them. And you subscribe to them. And you can post anything, but it's definitely basically where like sex workers go to post nudes or boudoir or lewds or whatever they're comfortable with. And the platform looks like Instagram a little bit. It's kind of designed to look like social media. Yeah, it's only a website. It really desperately needs an app. I'm so annoyed they don't have an app yet, Mm. but you have a feed, like the way Sherilyn was saying, there's like a feed of things you post. And then there's also DMs. And so what I do is I, I guess I didn't say this, but I'm femme, I'm queer, I'm poly, I'm a very gay ass lady. And so (sighs) I really love to be hyper feminine in my expression of my queerness. And so I like taking pictures like that. And so I'll dress up, I get my savage box in the mail once a month and I'll put on a wig and take some pictures and post that on my main feed on my OnlyFans and it's just a bunch of people where I can post myself in lingerie and have people hype me up and be like yes bitch you look amazing as opposed to me going on Instagram and potentially having all these people super upset that I'm constantly posting like lewd or lingerie type content and then in the DMs you can lock pictures or whatever to send to people so I'll make a strip tease because I'm formerly a dancer and I feel good about myself and I'll like lock a strip tease in their DMs, send it to them and they can unlock it for like ten dollars and people have to pay me if they want to send a picture and I know all of us have received unsolicited dick pics that you're just like what the fuck dude I don't want this this is not remotely turning me on if anything I just feel very violated by the fact you sent this I make people pay me to send me their dick pics. And so I can't tell you. I love that. Wait, what? Oh, my God. This is revolutionary. I'm telling you, the first time I got paid $20 for someone just to send me their dick pic, I was like, this is feminism. (laughs) 
this is great because really when a guy sends a dick pic it's not for you it's for them they want to feel that power they want to feel like you're turned on by it or something which most the case is not true and to have someone actually pay you to send a dick pic and then they want dick ratings and stuff and so I'm like absolutely Without question, send me your dick pic if you're going to send me $20, because at that point, I do feel like it's an equal exchange. You're paying me for the service that you want, which is you want to send a dick pic because you want that person to respond a certain way. Well, if you pay me and then send it, I will respond that way because it's a service. For Mm -hmm. me, that has been such an incredible journey of unlearning my own shame and my own internalized feelings of getting paid for doing something like that feeling shameful about being a sexual woman in general instead it's been like oh okay well this can actually be close to a $1,500 a month side hustle that's like a huge deal that's rent talk about empowerment it's not only empowering your own sexuality but you are getting economic gain from it as well. That is empowerment on top of empowerment. Exactly. And my friend just wrote this incredible dissertation that was talking about black trans femmes that engage in survival sex work. And his whole dissertation was like, well, actually, like we always tend to talk about trans women who are engaging in sex work as this traumatizing thing which obviously sometimes that happens, but a lot of these women find immense pleasure by the combination of getting paid and having pleasure themselves. Because those are two things that we do not, like we we don't allow women in general, but when you're talking about a black trans woman, like one of the most unprotected classes in our society, these are women who their sexual pleasure is always seen as something that's not for them and for someone else. And finances and resources are so low. And so when you combine sexual pleasure with money, it's this immense pleasure. And so I've found the same thing where obviously I have a lot more privileges. I have my fucking PhD, but even with that, I've dealt with so much sexual trauma and trying to unlearn that myself that being able to experience both sexual pleasure, like someone is going to pay me to get myself off. Oh, you're going to pay me to do what I was going to do anyways? Great. You're going to pay me literally to have an (laughs) orgasm and then I get money and now I have way more money. They're intertwined. (laughs) And it's one of the most empowering feelings. Like I don't feel dirty. I don't feel ashamed anymore. Instead, it's like, oh, this is literally a service people want. They're paying for it. We're all consenting adults. And everyone's super fucking respectful. It also gives me a lot of pleasure to know that I have managed to make someone else feel good for the first time in the whole pandemic. I had several people telling me, damn, that's the first time I was able to like come this whole pandemic in months. And that's a great feeling for me. Sure. That's really awesome. That's powerful. It's so powerful. And having orgasms is so important to your own mental health. And so for me, That makes me feel so good that I'm able to provide that for somebody. It's just so stupid because we shame women for being sexual like that. But in reality, it's like our power. It is our power. And there's a reason why it is so shamed because it's powerful. And the people with power know it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know? No, totally. 
I do have one final question. So I was wondering if you would feel comfortable saying what you think proper sexual education might look like and how early it should start. Yeah, I'm not a formal sexual educator, but I would definitely say that any sort of sexual health curriculum needs to include pleasure and consent, just period. Mm -hmm. I think that sexual education really needs to keep all shame away from it and take more of this risk reduction approach where you inform everyone of all the different things they have available in their toolkit to reduce the risk from sex, but it's always up to them to decide what's best for them. I'm really against forcing people to wear condoms if they know that that's not something they're going to do or be capable of negotiating. I'm never going to be upset with someone who is telling me that the pill is just not for them because it's not for them. That's fine. It's their own fucking body. So I think all sexual education really needs to be focused on empowering the person to make their own decisions on what they're comfortable with in terms of risk in their own sex. And then also always include what does consent look like for you? What does it look like for the other person? What does it feel like? And then also focus on pleasure because I think oftentimes that super gets left out of sex education and that's why we have sex in the first place. So I think it's really important to talk about what does pleasure look like? Being able to express to your partner when something does not feel good and understand that that's okay. I've definitely had experiences where I've had to tell someone, hey, maybe Maybe don't go so hard on that super sensitive part of my body and them getting super embarrassed about it. I'm like, you don't need to shut down. I just meant less pressure. It's super normal. We all have different bodies too. So I think that's so important to be like, listen, everyone experiences sexual pleasure in a different way. And it's okay. It's okay that one thing doesn't work for every partner. It's okay that other partners may have certain kinks that you've never heard of before. It's okay. I think that we need to be talking about our bodies and our bodily autonomy from very early ages. I'm not talking Mm -hmm. about teaching kids how to have sex. I'm talking about teaching kids what is your body? What does it do? Really emphasize to kids that they have bodily autonomy too. They're allowed to say no if they don't want an adult to touch them because oftentimes, unfortunately, we really tell kids they have to do what we say. They have to hug the creepy uncle. They have to let their aunt kiss them and they're really uncomfortable. I think that it's just so important to start talking to every human being from a pretty early age about what their own bodily autonomy is so that when you start transitioning more into these older kids you can start incorporating more sex into it and I think people get upset because they think that you're like teaching young children how to have sex and that's not what's happening it's trying to empower kids into understanding what's healthy and what's not so that girl who's 15 who and her boyfriend pressuring her to have sex with no sex education she may just do that but if she's empowered in her sex education and understands that her pleasure and her consent is first and foremost the most important thing, she may tell her boyfriend to fuck off and wait. It's really about empowering people to make these decisions that are best for themselves and that feel best for themselves. And I think if we did that more, you would see less kids engaging in sex earlier and earlier, which is gonna happen regardless. But I do think a lot of times that happens because they're trying to explore and figure things out. But 
no one is taught about how to do that in a safe way at all. It's just sort of like, we haven't taught you anything about sex, but I guess in a super secretive way, try to figure it out with each other. (laughs) It doesn't lead to great things all the time. Yeah. Thanks so much for being on our show today, Dr. Devin Price. Thank you so much, Dr. Devin Price. Thanks for having me. This was so lovely. It was great to talk to y'all. It was. Devin, do you want to be found on the internet, on Instagram? Sure. or My Instagram is p, like Kat Von D, but not a racist piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> beautiful dr.dvonp is my instagram that's where i exist thank you devin bye well that felt like a healing conversation i thoroughly enjoyed talking with dr devin price i loved her insights and she was so real about it you know loved it real about it she's like we don't have time for bullshit okay And it's true. We don't have time. We don't have time to be pussyfooting around. Nice. (laughs) Nice use of the word pussyfooting. I don't like that word. You did it, though. You went there. It's because we just watched wet-ass pussy. Pussy's on the brain. (laughs) My opening thought is simply that I kind of wish that I started this episode with a bit more structure to what my thoughts were I feel like I came in like that one Kermit the Frog mean just like ah! yeah and you because did because I did but it's fair because it was emotional it was emotional this is a topic that is important to many of us and me specifically and I had very visceral reactions to the abuse that I was watching and I'm glad that we defined it as such but I also want to say that I think I felt a sense of calm and resolution when we finally got to that one point in the conversation with Dr. Devin, where we were saying that this whole movie is kind of the fetish idea of falling into the fetish for the first time and trying it out. And maybe if the film had started with some sort of disclaimer saying hey this is what the movie is you should not be learning about bdsm culture from this movie this is itself the kink enjoy responsibly (laughs) then maybe i would have enjoyed it differently i hear you and i think that it was a movie that ground our gears ground (laughs) yeah Uh, in the past it was grinding our gears actively then and it ground our gears thinking about it in the past our gears are all ground up and uh, (laughs) they're not even gears anymore but I think that this movie was so toxic but in a way it's like every relationship and movie in tv and throughout the history of media has been pretty toxic so moving forward let's do better as a society as producers and filmmakers as educators because 50 shades of gray obviously was not good but you know what neither were the relationships in will and grace or on friends and any of the movies and shows that we watched growing up so many rom-coms get this wrong and that's why rom-coms get such a bad rap 50 shades of gray was not real that's not what real 
BDSM kink looks like and that's not how healthy exchanges are made in real life just like in rom-coms that is not what true love looks like the negging and the you hate this person until you love them that's not real that is abuse it ain't it it ain't it and we're being sold it in so many different mediums and so I think that's really good to understand and I'm glad that we got to that point 50 Shades of Grey was not trying to be a great film and it wasn't ultimately we're all agreeing we've all agreed that it was not good and neither is anything else so (laughs) moving forward (laughs) we're all gonna be better okay everyone and we just also need to be educated as viewers to know that what we're watching is not real and don't be afraid to get tested for stis don't be afraid to talk about your kinks kids just kidding kids Uh. Don't be afraid to talk about your kinks, consenting adults, all right? So get out there and fly your freak fraff. I almost cussed. I almost just said a derogatory. Hannah, my words aren't working. Let's start this over. (laughs) So get out there, consenting adult, and fly your freak flag. Ooh, that's hard to say. That was hard to say. That was a lot of different sounds all together. Yeah, I'm not even going to try to say it again. No, don't. You got it. That's all we need. Um, Yeah, fly your... Oh, my God, I was about to do it. No, I'm moving on. Do that. Do what she told you to do. Normalize talking about your bodies, your wants, your needs, your pleasure. Your wet-ass pussy. Your wet-ass pussies. Talk about it. Macaroni in the pot. (laughs) Hannah, what did you rate this movie? I rate it two shackles. Oh, God. I rate it one broken pair of handcuffs, like a really sad broken pair of fuzzy handcuffs. Yeah, two shackles is a bad rating, by the way. It means I I can't leave. (laughs) And I can't unsee that film. All right, let's wrap it up. Thanks for listening, everyone. That's a wrap on the show for today. What did you think? Oh, God. What did you think is more what I want to (laughs) say. Let us know your thoughts on our Instagram named after the podcast. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at Live Film Society. Enjoy yourselves and enjoy each other consensually. We love you. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.